Pastor David and I don't talk about what I'm going to be preaching about before I preach, but that ties in really well. We follow Jesus. We can't accomplish righteousness on our own. In fact, even after we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, we fall into sin. We rebel against Jesus, and we choose sin regularly. I choose sin regularly. You choose sin regularly. But Jesus still redeems. Let's start with our scripture memory verse of the month, because this is fitting. So recite with me our scripture memory verse of the month, John 21, 22. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. John 21, 22. We are commanded to follow Jesus. That's the command given to us. Follow Jesus. We fall, we slip, we fall into sin, and we are commanded, follow Jesus, who has redeemed us. I think one of the interesting passages in the Bible is actually John 6, 60 through 69. And I want to read this to you, and then I want to use that as we get started digging into what Jesus has for us in this passage. Follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe. And who would betray him? He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you, Jesus asked the twelve? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What is setting the stage for this? What is leading us to this point? Jesus, in talking with his disciples, has explained that you cannot earn your way to heaven. Nothing that you can do will ever earn your way to heaven. You're stuck in a predicament. You can't do it yourself. The only way to heaven is through Jesus, through accepting Jesus' death, which was coming on the cross as payment for your sins. And on hearing it, on recognizing that Jesus wasn't coming to be a conquering king that would use the power of the people. Jesus was coming to be a humble servant who would save the people. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is really hard. Who, who can actually believe this? Who can believe that I can't do anything myself, that I have to rely on you for everything, Jesus? That's a hard saying. Who can believe that you didn't come to conquer the Roman Empire, but rather to conquer sin? And Jesus follows this up and he says, it's hard. In fact, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. What Christ is offering is not a promise of political freedom from evil overlords. Christ promises atonement for personal sin and freedom from personal sin. 
So in John 6, 66, what we see is a very sad state. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many left. They said, we can't take this. We cannot take this message that I can't do it myself, that I have to depend on you. And they left. But then in 67, Jesus turns to those who remained and says, what about you? Do you want to leave too? Peter has some of the most bold, wise, and foolish statements in the Bible. Here's where he hits a home run. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life. That is what's recorded in our Bibles. And so today, as we talk about walking with Jesus, this series on the disciplined life, I want to talk about using scripture as a tool in spiritual discipline. And so the first question is, what does it look like to make scripture a spiritual discipline? That's the question that we're going to seek to answer today. How can we use scripture effectively in our walk with Jesus to make it a spiritual discipline? So let me give you the first step. Spend significant time memorizing scripture. Remember what Peter says. These are the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? These aren't easy words. I will tell you, I fall into sin. And these are the last words I want to hear when I'm in sin. It's hard. But these are the words of eternal life. There have been a lot of people in history who have memorized significant portions of Scripture. Um, one theologian claims that the Apostle Paul likely had most of the Old Testament memorized in Hebrew. Greek was his first language, so, you know, memorize it in Hebrew. Uh, church leader Tertullian, the early church claims he memorized the entire Bible. In more recent history, Martin Luther said that he had nearly times there are individuals who have memorized at least 75% of the Bible. And the way we know this is because they can recite it. People have memorized scripture. Where script don't want to take you to individuals. I want to take you to biblical examples where scripture memory played a key role. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. I want you to see how memorizing scripture can be a spiritual discipline that is a powerful tool. In Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, we're going to read it, and we're going to see how Jesus used scripture. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, this is after his baptism, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, 
he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. In the passage, we see that Satan tempted Jesus. Now, I could tell you how I deal with or fail to deal with temptation, but I'm just a man who has fallen like everybody else here. If we want to learn how to deal with temptation, we should look at the master, the one who didn't fall in the face of temptation, the one who faced temptation and was victorious. And look at how he responded to temptation. Satan tempted Jesus with food. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone. Satan tempted Jesus with popularity. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan tempted Jesus with power. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.13. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus utilized scripture as a powerful, powerful tool by memorizing it. He had scripture memorized. We should be memorizing scripture. The second way to make scripture a spiritual discipline is by studying scripture. There are all sorts of examples out there of people who study scripture. I've got bookshelves in my office. We have a library. It's full of books written by people who have dedicated their life to studying scripture. My favorite commentary on the book of Acts is 1,162 pages long. So look at the book of Acts in your Bible, and someone's written over 1,000 pages on that book, okay? My favorite book on systematic theology is uh, 1,663 pages long. There are people who have dedicated their lives to studying scripture, but you don't have to be an academic to do so. Actually, I think one of the most profound examples of people who studied scripture comes in Acts 17. Turn your Bibles to Acts 17. The Apostle Paul, on his missionary journey in Acts 17, arrives at the city of Berea. And I want you to read, starting in verse 10 in Acts 17, about the Berean Christians. Paul writes, or Luke writes, sorry, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. The Berean Christians studied the scripture with eagerness, daily examining to find out if what Paul was telling them was true. We should be in the scriptures. We'll talk more about the why in a minute. 
But what I want you to see is that these Berean Christians, it doesn't say they were academics who had all of this training. No, it says that they eagerly examined the scriptures. They went to check. Some of the greatest compliments that I have received in preaching is when somebody has come to me and said, I don't know if I agree with you on this. Or can you explain to me how you got that? And why do I say that's a compliment? Because it means that you were paying attention and valued the scripture enough to ask the question. I invite those questions. I welcome those questions. That's how we should be, is daily living in the scripture in a way that we say, wait a second, I heard you say this. Can you explain that to me? And guess what? Sometimes I look at it and I think, did I really say that? Or I think, oh, that's a really good way of looking at this. That is the sort of daily habits we should have is where we're engaging in the study of scripture. So I've talked about memorization. I've talked about studying the scripture. And I want to take a brief interlude because in these two areas, I challenge you because I think our children are beating us. So I'd like all of the kids who have helped or have been part of Awana, if you could stand for a second. We've got the building still decorated. So all of these kids were part of Awana and they studied scripture. In fact, Sparks memorized 150 verses over the course of the Sparks program. That's a lot of scripture. I looked at some of the books that some of these kids were filling out, and they're answering hard questions about the Bible. What does this mean to you? How have you seen this play out in life? How have you lived in this way? These are good questions. Thank you, kids. I encourage you all, take that as a challenge. Can we memorize 170 verses? I'd also like to recognize the leaders, everyone who has helped with Awana. I'd like to give them a hand of applause just for working with our students. Please stand if you've helped with Awana. All right, I want us to understand how important these first two aspects of a spiritual discipline is and how important it is that we are investing this in our children so that when faced with temptation, they can cite the word of God. So that when faced with theology, they can say, it's not how I remember it written in the Bible. These are important things that not just our children, but all of us should be doing. The third way that I see that we can make the scripture into a spiritual discipline is by spending significant time consuming scripture. Spend significant time consuming scripture. What do I mean by that? We need to be in the Bible regularly and significantly. And I think at times it is appropriate just to simply read your Bible. Memorization, yes. Study, yes. Sometimes I think it's appropriate to simply read, to consume it, to make it yours, just like any other book. Actually, this happens in the Bible. I'm not going to go to all of these passages because there's a lot of them, but I'll give you a couple of references. In Exodus 24-7, we'll read this one. In Exodus 24-7, It'll take me a second to get there, so that gives you a second to get there too. 
We'll read this one, Exodus 24, 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses, after having received the book of the covenant from God, sat or stood and read it to the people. Now, I I venture that if I did this, you might fall asleep. Because how many of you have read through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible? It gets a little dry. It's a little hard to get through. Moses read it to the people. Actually, this happens several times in Israel's history. It's interesting because it happens at major turning points in Israel's history. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, they were commanded, the people were commanded that every seven years they needed to read through the book of the law. They need to have a public reading of the book of the law every seven years. In 2 Kings chapter 23, King Josiah comes into Israel or into Judah as the king and recognizes all sorts of problems. And he finds the book of the law that had been ignored. You know, it's dusty sitting in a corner in the temple. And he gets it out and he reads it to the people and it transforms the nation. There's revival because they have a public reading of the law. In Nehemiah 8, Ezra reads aloud from the Bible from daybreak until noon. And the people repent. We need to consume scripture. It is our daily bread. We need to be in it and just simply consume it. In an illiterate society, it was a public reading. In a literate society, you should be in your Bible every day. You should be memorizing, you should be studying, and you should just be consuming. One of the fears I have is I look at a lot of various devotionals and Bible studies, and oftentimes in a devotional, I find a lot of text written by a man and one sentence written by God. Okay, That's dangerous. It's useful. I'm not going to say you shouldn't ever do that. But be careful that you are spending time with the words of God, not just time with the words of a mere man. We should spend significant time consuming Scripture. Finally, the fourth way that I see we make spiritual uh, Scripture into a spiritual discipline is by meditating on scripture. There are a number of passages that tell us to meditate on God's word, but Joshua 1.8 is one that stands out to me. Just turn your Bibles to Joshua 1.8. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 states, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. There's a few things in here that we learn about meditation just right in this verse. Meditation is regular. It says to do it day and night. We should have scripture on our minds throughout the day. It's frequent. It's not just, oh, once a month I'm going to go ahead and take some time in God's word. And it's on God's words. And I want to emphasize that point heavily. We live in a culture now that talks about meditation a lot. Meditation on anything other than God's word is dangerous. 
Okay, I'm going to just come out and say that we should not be meditating on anything other than God's words. Because vacuum, nature abhors a vacuum. A vacuum will be filled. Fill it with God's words. Don't allow other lies and mistruths to fill that. We should be in God's word regularly. It should be on our minds, on our lips, ready to come out to where it is driving our day. So I've told you a little bit about what it looks like. Now I want to move into why. Why should we do this? Why should I make scripture into a spiritual discipline? Well, first of all, when we commit scripture to memory, it's a reasonable defense against temptation. One of the verses that I imagine a lot of our kids have memorized is Psalm 119, verse 11. Turn there with me to Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There are some facts that we need to realize in our world. Our world is fundamentally opposed to God. Satan is fundamentally opposed to God. He is the one who influences our world, who drives our world. We live in a world that wants to destroy those who follow God. And one of the ways to do so is through temptation. A defense against temptation is to hide God's word in our hearts. Actually, Psalm 119 verses 9 through 16 in the wider context really talks about the cleansing power of God's word. Psalm 119 then of 11 is right in the middle of that cleansing power of God's word. And it says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. In the midst of temptation, if you have hidden God's word in your heart, you will recall scripture. And then you have the choice to rebel or to accept God's prodding. Oh, I shouldn't sin in this way. Now, when you fail, remember, as Pastor David said, the forgiveness that God offers. The forgiveness that he offered Israel, the forgiveness that he offers us. But we hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. Studying scripture prepares us to discern truth. That's what was going on in Acts 17. We read Acts 17.11 about the Bereans earlier. What I want to show you is how the Bereans did this so that we can understand the why. They, first of all, approached Scripture with all eagerness. That is, they approached it with goodwill. They weren't looking to disprove what the Apostle Paul said. They were looking to confirm what the Apostle Paul was teaching. And so they eagerly searched Scripture. Could this be? Could this grace really be? And the answer is, Yes. They examined the scriptures every day. Why? To discover what Paul said was truth. They studied it for understanding. But that doesn't tell you why you should study scripture. It just tells you what the Bereans did. The reason they studied scripture was to get at truth. Our world struggles with truth. Our world struggles deeply with truth. It's nothing new, though. What is it that Pilate said to Jesus? 
what is truth. Lying, deceit, has been Satan's MO since the beginning. And so our world struggles. But the Bible, God's words, hold truth. If we study it, we can learn truth. Consuming scripture brings us vital sustenance. Deuteronomy 8.3, we'll go there. I quoted this one earlier because Jesus quoted it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. God is talking about, don't forget me. When you get to the promised line, don't forget me. And he writes, Moses writes, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Imagine being in the wilderness for 40 years. If you've ever gone into the wilderness what you realize is that you can't really grow crops, especially not for a million people. You really can't hunt because there's nothing to grow crops. There's not a lot of animals there. And the people of Israel quickly realized they needed food. And so God provided manna. But then God follows that up to say, the reason I gave you the manna was not to meet your physical needs. It was to remind you that you live on my words in a supernatural way that we can hardly comprehend, the word of God is our sustenance, not our food. That's weird to think about, but the food is secondary because what we need is God's word. Consuming scripture provides vital sustenance. And finally, meditating on scripture brings great wisdom. Look at Psalm 119 verses 97 through 99. Psalm 119, starting in verse 97, says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than elders, for I obey your precepts we spend a huge amount of time in our lives trying to learn. We spend an incredible amount of money in our lives trying to learn. Think about it. Everybody goes through 13 years of school, starting in kindergarten. Some people go through more starting in preschool. Some people go through more going to college. Some people invest a huge amount of money in college trying to learn. And what the psalmist writes in verse 99, because of his time in God's law, is I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Those of you in college, you've got final exams coming in a couple of weeks. If I told you that there was a way that you could know the material better than your teacher, and it didn't cost any more money, That'd be helpful. God tells us, he doesn't say you know the material better, but he tells us, I have more insight than all my teachers. When I was working on my dissertation, I was stuck. I could not solve the problem I was working on. And it finally struck me, it probably should have struck me a lot earlier, 
But it finally struck me that God actually knew how to solve the problem I was working on. He knew the answer. I didn't know the answer. Nobody else in the country knew the answer, but God knew the answer. And so I started praying and talking with God about my problem. And guess what? I solved it pretty quickly after that. When I turned it over to God. When we go to scripture, though, God gives us insights, insights and wisdom that we can hardly measure because they are so great. We need to spend time meditating on God's word, as indicated by Joshua 1.8. So let me ask you this. How can I make spiritual, scripture a spiritual discipline? Step one, utilize tools to memorize scripture. In each of my action steps, I'm going to tell you a little story of somebody that I know that I think has done this very well, that I've been able to see. If you want to write this down, or it's in the back of your bulletin, there is an app, there's both a free version and a paid version, called Bible Memory. It's in the App Store. It uses very well-informed methods of helping you to memorize scripture. It provides regular reminders every day, hey, you haven't worked on your verse yet today. It recalls verses that you've already mastered and brings them up randomly so that you have to redo the verses. It is a powerful tool to help you memorize scripture. I actually know someone who faithfully uses the Bible memory app every day. Um, most of us faithfully use Facebook every day. This person, instead of pulling out Facebook, pulls up the Bible memory app when they have some free time and just sits and works on a verse for five minutes. And then later in the day, when they've got a little more free time, instead of pulling up Facebook, they sit, work on the verse for another five minutes. And they've memorized a huge portion of scripture. But it's not just memory where you memorize it for an hour and then forget it, like a library book, where you return it, right? This reminds them every day, hey, you haven't said this verse in like three weeks. You should say it again to make sure you still remember it. Really powerful tool. After years of use, the individual is learning new verses, reviewing old verses, and committing scripture to memory. Second action step is to use good tools to slow down, understand, and apply a passage. So the tool that I have here is the Bible Knowledge Commentary. This is an excellent, what I would call a starter-level commentary. It's not... 1,000 pages on a single book of the Bible. But it's a powerful tool where you can look and see, well, what does this passage say? I just read this, and I'm confused on this. How does this all fit together? And somebody has written about this. I know somebody who has purchased uh, a PDF commentary, put it on their phone, and when they're at work and they have some downtime, that's what they do is they pull out their Bible and pull out their commentary, and they look at the two and compare them, and just slowly studying through it, reading through it. A great way to study scripture, to make it a spiritual discipline. I've asked you to consume scripture, so let me give you an action step here. Utilize tools to start a Bible reading plan and faithfully keep the plan. So Version is a place that has some really good plans. I know a lot of you are participating in our read through the Bible in a year plan. It's an excellent way to do it. 
I was first convicted of my need to be in the Bible daily in 2006. So that was the first time where I was like, wow, I need to do this daily. And since then, I've been able to read through the Bible a number of times. I don't have the passage memorized, but I pretty well know where this is going and what the main players are and who the main characters are. It's a powerful way to just consume scripture. Put yourself on a Bible reading plan and faithfully keep it. Make it a priority. Finally, my fourth one is utilize tools to force yourself to meditate on scripture. Journaling is a tool that I have heard of that people use really, really well. So someone I know puts on their iPad, their Bible, and a notepad. And they split it in half. They read the Bible on the left side, and they just scribble notes on the right side about what they're reading, taking time to think through, what does this say? How does this apply to me? How can I just sit here and think about this passage? I've given you four action steps. Let me end with what I'm going to call some pro tips for maximizing your routine. First thing that I want to say here is make a plan that emphasizes the value of Scripture. Remember, we do this because it's a good defense against temptation. It helps us to discern truth. It's our vital sustenance, and it brings great wisdom. We don't do this to get a higher rank in heaven. That doesn't exist. Okay? Your goal is not, I'm going to read through the Bible three times this year because then I will be a colonel when I get to heaven. No. That's not how it works. I'm going to read through the Bible because this is my sustenance. This is what's going to get me through the day. This is what's going to sustain me. Create a plan that emphasizes value. Set some goals, but don't make it about goals. Make sure it's about value. So I say set some goals because otherwise we all know what happens when we don't set goals. We just sort of slip in. Eh, I'm just not going to do it today. Set some goals that make sure it's about value. So I value time in scripture. I'm going to aim to read from the book of John at least 10 minutes while having my coffee in the morning. That's a goal, but it emphasizes not the goal, but the value. And then finally, make yourself accountable. Share your goal, your routine with a Sunday school teacher, a Bible study leader, someone that you trust to ask you, how's your time in scripture going? Remember what Peter said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's value scripture as we live a disciplined life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the words of eternal life. You gave us scripture. Your words given to us that we might grow in you. And I pray that we would place scripture in its rightful place as where else would we go? These are the words of eternal life. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church to value scripture highly, that you would help us to be in your word, 
that we would memorize it, maybe taking a lesson from our children, that we would study it, checking to make sure that the words that we're hearing are in fact true. That we would simply consume your word. And that we would meditate, that it would be on our lips day and night because it is so much a part of who we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.